Hi, happy Father's Day. I guess you don't say happy Father's Day back, but yeah, I like that. That's great. All right. Uh, so we're doing the sermon. Thanks for the clock, etc. cetera. Uh, here's where we are. You know, everybody in here has got a dad, whether you know him or not, right? Bottom line, did you have a good dad? Did you have a bad dad? Did you have a somewhat in-between dad? Did you have no dad? Did you have a couple of different dads throughout the course of your life? I mean, what did you have, right? What kind of parent did you have? It doesn't matter. Oh, go ahead and pick up the things. Thank you, guys. It doesn't matter what kind of parent that you had. The interesting thing is, is all of us know something about dads. And that is what they're basically supposed to do. The sort of essential requirement, the sort of essential duty is this. What a dad's supposed to do is to raise up the child. That means expose them to challenges, to tribulations even, to learning, to growing experiences, do so in a protected way, to where they can learn from it, to where they can grow from it. I mean, a dad's job is to grow the child to the point that you can then launch that child into the world successfully, right? And what do we mean by success? That they're happy that they're profitable, that they can provide for their family, that they can provide in the community, that they can make a difference, that they can help other people. This is what we mean, right? So what we're saying is, see, the dad raises up, and then there comes a time at which we push them out of the nest, so to speak, and they go out on their own, and they do this. Can, Lance, would you come up here? Okay, I'm sorry. I should have asked you beforehand. I meant to, and then I forgot to, okay? So I'm sorry to do this to you. But, but, but I just want you to meet Lance, and you've got to sit there because I'm going to use you again. No, come up here right now, okay? This is the idea. So Lance is my son, okay? I love Lance. This is a great guy. And what I've done is I've raised him up to the point that there comes a day when, like I say, what I've done is I've pushed him out of the net. I've launched him exactly. See? And now he's flying on his own. He's successful. I've done a good job as a dad if he can do this on his own. That's the definition of dadhood, isn't it? Now go ahead and sit down, but don't, you don't get to sit with your friends today because I'm using you, okay? And you'll get all the rest of those donuts, okay, when I get done. All right. Now, that's true. God says a man leaves his mother and his father. Cleaves, actually, an interesting use of the word cleave. Cleave means to cut apart, but then it also says, uses the same word cleave, which means to join together. So a man leaves the father and the mother, goes out and joins with the wife and becomes this thing that we're talking about, this successful family out there doing that thing, right? So this is absolutely true, and nothing I'm saying today is to come against the truth in that part of it. But I do want to say something. The definition that I just gave of what a successful dad is the definition that I just gave, that we all said, yes, that's it, has at its heart a fundamental lie, a deception, an untruth that we don't see to our own harm. It is not allowing for a process that God intended to take place, good or bad, Dad, even missing. There's something that's missing in our definition of it. There's something that's lacking in it. There's a fundamental deception in what that definition is that once we unearth it and uncover it, 
takes us to an entirely different place of what a dad is supposed to be, even though it's still that. So that's where we're going today. Who's our prayer? Okay, Josh Benjamin, that is okay. <laughs> this is awesome. He's just now engaged to joy. This is so cool. I've known Josh for, I don't know, 14 years now probably, somewhere along that line. And I just think the world of this guy. So thank you, Josh, for praying for the sermon, lifting up another church. Pray with me, please. Father God, I just thank you for bringing us all here tonight, or this morning, Lord. God, I, I pray that regardless of whether our relationship with our Father is good, or strenuous, or whatever, Lord, that you would help us to know your heart as our Father. Lord, as Kurt unravels your word for us, and as Kurt speaks into our lives and shares your heart with us, Lord, pl please let it change our hearts. Amen. And in doing so, change who we are and how we behave to each other. Lord, I just pray that we lift, I lift up um, Celebration Christian Community in West Seattle, Father God. I just pray that you would continue to be in their midst, Lord, that you continue to grow and challenge each and every person in the congregation and help them to enter into who they really are in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Josh. That's awesome. Okay, so... We, we kind of introduced it last week. We're still, I'm going to do a lot on soap this week, but really it, the soap series begins in earnest at the beginning of July, but we're going to talk a lot about it today, and I want to show you the cool graphic that we've developed for it. So thank you again to Adam Obonsky, who created this cool soap graphic for us, and for Josh, a foreman who started the whole process with the graphics that you're going to be seeing and so on. But this is, this is the basic idea, soap, and what is soap, just for those who don't actually know what it means, just real briefly, it is scripture, it's reading a passage of scripture, reading the whole passage, but looking for the speed bump, looking for the thing that stands out, the one or maybe two verses that stand out, that grab your attention in some way, you don't understand it, or that's an odd way of putting it, or something like that, something that the Lord would bring up to you, personally, and then... You observe, why does that stand out? What's around it? What's it got to do with? What, what, you know, what is this about? And then once you get the revelation, during that period of time, you'll get a revelation, and then you go to an application. So then what am I supposed to do in my life in order to make this new revelation become part of my life, right? And then when you get to that place, then you go to prayer, and prayer is the, you know, taking it to prayer, right? Pretty complicated there, Okay. Now, I, I need to say just a few sort of brief cursory comments. So this is not the sermon, but I need to say a couple of things about soap because I want you to understand what we're doing for these next couple of months. Here's the fundamental purpose for us doing soap as a series. We want everybody in this place to come to a place where every day that they read their scripture, God talks to them through that word. Speaks personally to them. Now you're going to see things that we're going to do in the weeks to come that I'm not, make, I'm not joking when I say that. And if you think, no, that would never happen, I don't understand it, and i got to go to seminary and all that kind of stuff, none of that's true. And we're going to be demonstrating that in very tangible ways in the weeks to come. But I want you to understand, our goal here is for everyone to get to a place to where, I don't mean once every 10 days, I mean that it is normative that the Lord speaks to you through the word when you read it. Now, I want to say something. 
for me personally, well, for, for, to do soap technically, and you can go to our website, and you can watch a video about how to do it, and mostly what the soap means is to actually do it by journaling. This comes from Wayne Cadero, who came up with this technique. I don't even know if he's the first guy to come up with it, but he's the guy that made it popular. And the bottom line is, is that you journal things. And a lot of people right now are going, that's great, but I don't write. You know, I don't journal. You know, that's not me. And, and I, I just want to say something. I want you to know something. I'm very careful when I say this. I don't actually write anything down during my soap time. There's more than one way to essentially do a soap. But here's the key to when I say that. I'm afraid to say that. And the reason why is because I think a lot of people are going to say, oh, see, I don't have to write anything down. And then they're just going to read the word. And once again, God's not really speaking to them. The reason why I don't write down, this is just me personally now, is because when I discovered soap, it wasn't discovering a new way to read the scripture. It was somebody that had codified the way that I read the scripture. I was already been doing this since the first day that I became saved. I got a Bible from my parents. I started reading it. It came alive to me. It never occurred to me that the word was a book. It was always a letter written by God to me, and he himself came with the letter and was talking to me about it. And if I had a question, I could ask him about it. See what I mean? It was an interactive thing that was taking place in the word with me from the beginning. And this is, a, this is the first principle I want you to get about soap, not about our sermon, but about soap. You have to approach the word with that presupposition in mind. That God wants to speak to you, that he will speak to you. You have to come with an expectation that God will speak to you. Now, if you're somebody who's doing a devotional other than soap or some other way and God's speaking to you all the time, you know what? I love you. Fine. Go ahead and keep doing whatever you're doing. If God's speaking to you. That's what our goal is. You've already got the goal. That's fine. Keep doing it. I do want to say that I think there's some value in a body, a family, going on a journey together. I do think that there's value in us being in the same part of Scripture because I think that God can do something corporately with that that he can't do individually when we're all over the map. So I'd ask you to consider doing that. But once again, big goal, God speaking to the scripture. Here's what I'm saying. I don't like to write. I don't, like, I don't want to do all the things that you're doing. It seems like it'll take too long, whatever. Here's my point. If you're not having an active, real relationship with God through the word as he speaks to you through it, then I'm just suggesting to you that this is one very powerful way of doing it. And I would say something. A lot of people, their best part of their reading is they read the Bible passages and then they read their devotional, you know, hearing God or Jesus calling or God calling or, or you know, and these are wonderful books and they're incredible, Oswald Chambers, etc. These are great books, but let me say something about them. That's somebody else giving you the revelation they got. And they can deeply bear witness with you, can deeply open your eyes, but it ain't ever going to be as good or as important as God's speaking to you through the word. So I'm just telling you, if you're doing a devotional instead of reading the Bible, please, I love you. We're going to take the summer. We're going to make it fun. You're going to see by the end of the summer what I'm hoping for is that nobody could go a day without their daily bread. Now, you'll notice that we don't do soap on Saturday and Sunday, so I guess you can go out, out Saturday and Sunday, but, you know, whatever, okay? But... But the point is, I want this to be this dynamic thing where we're going through this together. I do also want to say one last thing. Soap is part of what we call a devotional, right? We have six values, devotional and small groups and serving and, and Sunday church and threefolds and outreach. 
So we have these six values, and devotional is one of them. Devotional is the scripture part, or the scripture is the soap is the scripture part of a devotional. There's the devotional, and then there's relational prayer. I love doing a soap first because it gets me into his word. It gets me hearing his voice. It gets, me, gets him speaking to me, and then I start praying, the last part of soap, and it leads into this interactive relational time with God where we're talking to each other and we're just spending this time. And again, I want to say that's what we're trying to build here to where people just, you wouldn't think of going a day without having this time with God because it's just too important, like your daily bread, okay? Now, because I am not legalistic, I, I rebel against legalism, okay? I'm actually incredibly disciplined in my life, parts of it. Other parts, not so disciplined, okay? But I do want to say that's why we take Saturday and Sunday off. By all means, if you're somebody who likes to do it every day, I don't care, do it every day. But I take the Saturday off because Sunday's this for me. But I take the Saturday off personally because it just seems to be a rhythm that works for somebody so that it doesn't become a ritual for me. It doesn't become something empty and formulaic. It stays real. All right, so is that enough about just just what I'm talking about. And again, here's the bottom line criteria for you. If you really are hearing from the Lord every time that you open your word, I love you, have fun with what we're doing, you're still gonna learn a lot. If you're not, then pay attention to the soap part because this will get you there. All right, having said that, now, this is the passage, or I wanna show you how you can do a soap real easily, okay? So here's this little thing. You're going to see, a, see it come over. The cursor come Oop, 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 oop. I got those in backwards, or somebody else got them in backwards, or I don't know what to do. Uh, hold it just a second. I'm going to just a sec. Let me see if this is the right one. Okay, I'll run it. You guys don't do anything. Okay, so you go to soap. There's our thing, and you go to soap, and then you see those over there. You can't see them right now. I'll run it. Thanks. All right, so there's the soap reading plan, okay? Now, what I did last week, do you have the card? What I... The Starbucks card? Okay. Oh, good. Okay, now what I did last week is I told you we were going to do a soap, and I, this is just one of the smaller fun games that we're going to do, but I, I said, look at the soap readings and tell me which one I'm going to preach from, because this one was pretty obvious. So I just want to know, just call it out, which one of those soaps, was it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then there's an Old Testament and a New Testament, was it, which day was it, and then we'll get to which thing. Does anybody know? I know there's somebody who knows. She doesn't have to be sitting in the room right now, but anyway. Who, does anybody, any guesses? Thursday. Thursday, that's a good guess. Go ahead, what? Tuesday. Okay, so Tuesday's the one I use, and again, I, guys, I'm running it, okay? So now the little cursor's gonna come over. It's gonna hit Tuesday. I want you to show you what it looks like. You do not have to use our website to get to the soap. You can download the schedule and read it out of your own Bible. Justine prefers that. You know, I'm fine with it either way. But the bottom line is you get to BibleGateway.com. There's the Old Testament passage. You can see how long it is. It takes you about seven minutes to read the whole thing. But see, I went right down to halfway through our New Testament reading. Jesus claims to be the Son of God. Okay, now that blanked out, but you saw it, right? So Jesus claims to be the Son of God. That is the passage that I used. So, how many people actually got that? How many people knew that beforehand? How many people? Really? Just Richard? Really? Okay. 
Well, you know, Rich, I love you, but Jenny Yalkowski gets the, gets the prize. And the reason why she gets the prize is because she actually Facebooked me. And that's part of what we're going to be doing, so you can give it to Jenny, okay? All right, so Jenny gets the prize for picking that. And over the, over the weeks, like I say, we're going to do various contests and games and all kinds of stuff, but there you go. All right, now, I'm, I got it again. Okay, so here it is, this passage, and it's just part of the passage, but I just want you to get a sense of it, because first you read the passage. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. When I read this, I want you to think about what verse I may have had a speed bump on. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he's doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. By the way, the story before that was a guy who was sitting by the pool, and he could never get in before somebody else did, and that was how they got healed. And Jesus comes to him, and he says, pick up your mat and walk. And what happens is, is the Pharisees see that, the, the religious leaders see that, and they say, you can't carry your mat on Sabbath. He says, all I know is the guy that healed me told me to pick it up, and I thought that was a good idea. Okay? So he's doing that. So he shows him everything. He's going to do even greater works in healing this man. Then he'll truly be astonished. And the point is, is Jesus has done that on Sabbath intentionally because he's provoked a conflict with religious rulers because he's trying to do something. He's trying to bring something to light. A relationship between himself and the Father that they don't understand. Not just that he has it, but that it's even possible. Remember, Jesus is our model. He's the one who lived the life that we're supposed to be living. It doesn't seem that way because we live such a different life than he does, but that's what he was doing. Besides the cross, Jesus came to model what a life with God looked like. So then you'll truly be astonished. So for just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. In addition, the Father judges no one. Instead, he's given the Son absolute authority to judge so that anyone will so that anyone will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son certainly is not honoring the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they will have already passed from death into life. And I assure you that the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. Now, there's more to that passage, but I just wanted to give a sense of the passage. Now, can anybody guess what verse I used? I want to say Jenny, Yal Jenny Yalkowski got this. She Facebooked it to me. But just, just, you know, what verse stands out to you, the one that you would take a look at more deeply? Was there one? 19. That's the one that I picked. I tell you, there's other ones you could have picked, many other ones, okay? But 19 is the one that stood out to me, and here's why. Isn't Jesus God? And as God, can't he do anything he wants to do? <laughs> and yet what he says is, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. Now later on, you know what he says the son does. But right here, he's saying something different. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. 
Now that struck me for a whole bunch of different reasons, but the first one was this idea of Jesus can do nothing by himself. That doesn't make sense to me. Because as God, he can do anything that he wants, and later on he says, I have life in myself and I can do to anybody that I want. But who's he talking? Remember Jesus is what? He's fully man and he's fully God. When he says he can do nothing of himself, what's he referring to? What, which one of those two is he speaking to? As a man. Now, that means we ought to listen. Because <laughs> what he's saying is, is that as a person, I can do nothing. I only do what I see the Father doing, and then I do all of it. See that? That is us. This is modeling. This is him being our example. So we're supposed to be getting something out of that. Now, remember what we defined our truth of, of fatherhood as being? What did we say it was? You raise up a child. Come on up. You raise up a child, male or female, right? You raise up a child. Let them experience things. Protect them a little bit, but let them have some exposure. Do the, you know, all the things, and you've done everything, and you've raised the child in the way that they should go. And then what do we do? We launch them. And out there, they're to do what? Be their own person. Be a good person. Right? We're supposed to have taught them things that they're supposed to know, and now they're doing that. But if they only do, now watch, if Lance only does what I think he should do, does anybody in this room think that I've done a good job of raising my son? Do you see it? If he can do nothing on his own, and he only ever does what I want. Do we think that that's a good son? Our definition says no. They're to go out and be their own person. And they may do some things that I like, and they may do some things that I don't like because they have their own relationship with God. And all of that is very true and very important. But are you starting to see something here? Thanks, Lance, and you're coming back again. So, Are you seeing something here? The modeling that God did with his own son was not our definition. The son said, I only do what I see the father doing. And we don't think of Jesus as being a bad son. And yet everybody said that would not be a definition of a successful father-son relationship if that was the definition of it. Only do what the father said. Now, we'll get into why that is in a little bit, but I just want us to see something right here. That's a tricky, we're in a tricky spot right now, aren't we? See what I mean? We got, we got a relationship being modeled between the father and the son that appears to have something very different about it than the one that I consider to be a successful American fatherhood relationship. So what did I do on this? Now, again, I had a week to do this, and I don't expect it in your soap you will ever have this happen to you. Are we good for sound? I just want you to hear something. I want you to know I wrestled with this for days. 
because I knew it was a sermon, and again, that's a little bigger thing, and I could have come up with a soap that was shorter and all that kind of stuff, but I just want you to show you the process. I'm trying to be transparent about process so you see what a soap is like, and I want you to see something about a soap. It pulls from a lot of different sources. So I'm laying in bed after about two days of wrestling with this idea, and, and what I really wanted to do, here's a sermon I wanted to give you. I wanted to, I wanted to get this whole passage, and I wanted to say, look at the principles of being a good dad. Because here's what they are. First, the father's always working. Diligence. And I wanted to tell you stories about how a diligent father raises a diligent son because they see a good example and so on. And I tell you funny stories and all that kind of stuff, right? And then, you know, but the son calls himself equal with the father. And the father seems okay with that. Oh, because I'm going to make it easy for you to remember. So diligent, devoid, D, devoid of ego. So God is devoid of ego. See, that would be point number two. And I'm doing this normal sermon way, right? And then I would go to delegation. See, the father delegates to the son completely and utterly because he's devoid of ego because he's, you know what I mean? He's raising the good son and he's raised the good son. And then, you know, let's just do the last one, delight. Right? He delights that the son is succeeding in the things. Now, that'd be a good sermon, right? That'd be a good, normal Father's Day kind of sermon, right? Man, I wish God would let me preach those sermons. I actually think there's principles in there that are important, but here's what the problem is. They really do help, but they're not actually how God teaches us. Not really. You can learn a little bit, and you can apply a little bit. And we'll get again to that in a moment, but I want you to look again at this, what this is saying. This is saying something quite different than what I think of successful fathering when they say launched out to be their own person. And so I'm laying in bed, I'm playing with this idea, I'm, I'm thinking about it, I'm praying about it, everything else, and, and I want you to say, nobody in here will believe that this was God because you shouldn't. But I just want to tell you, the song that came to my mind was this one. Oops. Do it again. Okay, hold it right now. Two slides away? Oh, there's an space between. Now, this is Dave's laughing. This is not a Christian. Now, the space between. See, when I bring Lance up here and I have him sitting over here, there's a certain definition of space between that we consider to be healthy on your own. When I look at that scripture, I don't see that in that scripture. I don't see any space between. That song is about a song of two people that are in a relationship that are splitting apart and they're defining each other by the problems. And he's saying there's so many things that are between those problems and we need to go after things that make us one. And it's quite a nice little song about relationships and, and you know, don't, get, don't major on the minors and how to get back and all this kind of stuff. But the, but the thing that came to my mind was this concept of the space between. So I started letting that sink into me, and I started thinking about there's no space between the Father and the Son in heaven, in, in Jesus on earth. There's no space between. And then I had this other really stupid thought. This must have been because I hadn't had breakfast yet. Uh, these are two donuts, okay, made from the same batter, okay? 
Now, th this is actually a theological principle for you. I just want you to understand. Okay, donuts and theology right now. Okay, all right. So what I want you to understand is, is there is this principle called homoousis. See, I'm telling you. This is Greek, homo, same, and usis, substance. This is a very important thing. When they were trying to figure out, what is Jesus? Is he God? Is he man? What is he? And what they came up with, homoousis, they said, of the same substance. This is the same batter. See that? So two donuts, same batch, same everything, right from top pot. Julie keeps saying that Top Pot has some way of making donuts healthy. That's not true, right? They're just donuts, right? Like, they, they don't have, like, she keeps saying that they have some, like, they, they're not as bad fat or something for you. And I keep going, I don't think so. I think they're just donuts, you know. All right. Anyway. So, but the point is, is, so you got same, you got homoousis here. Same substance. But that's not actually what the scripture is saying. It's not just saying same substance. It's saying no distance. Now, I'm going to, just because I, I want to end up with a little bit more. I'm putting the Holy Spirit in here, and then I'm going to put myself in there too somewhere. Okay? All right. All right. Now, what do I do? Okay. Now, you see, when I do this, now, see, there was, there was a father and a son in there. But, but they're not just homoousis of the same substance. This is more, I only do what I see the Father doing, isn't it? Aren't we becoming one here? To where you cannot tell what was what and what was the other thing? You see, to the point that I can take this. I got to take that one out because it didn't quite get chopped up. Okay. I, I can take this. And I can, I can pour out Jesus incarnate. <laughs> You've never, ever heard Jesus incarnate compared to a pile of donuts crunched up. Okay? And, and I can take the Father here. Okay? And I don't mean for the Father to be bigger. Okay? But, but here's what I want you to understand. See, there's distance. But there's no difference. At all. Do you see it? The Father and the Son are not, there. Is the Son his own person? Could he do other things? Could he make other choices? Of course he could. But there's no difference between the Father. It's not like the Son, it's not like the Son does this. I don't really agree with you, Dad, but I'm going to go ahead and do it your way anyway. Well, wait a minute, when he was in the garden that one night, remember right before he was going to die? Father, if there's any way, if there's any way. But in the end, look what he's saying. One, no difference. It's not just, I'll do it to be obedient. It's if this is truly the only way, I'm in. I'm in completely. Thank you, Lance. <laughs> he gets the donuts. I already told you that. He said I get a donut, right? <laughs> Go over to that pile. A father and a son. They're supposed to be distance. Distance. 
there's going to be distance. They're two different persons. And he's going to be doing something different. Was Jesus doing the same thing as the Father all the time? Was he sitting on the throne? No, he was in earth, incarnated. He was doing a distinct role, wasn't he? But yet, as utterly one. Here's why we can't do that. Because I'm a sinner. And if he did everything, if my children did everything that I did, Lance, you should be really happy that you're not my actual child at this point in time. <laughs> if my children did everything that I did, if they just did what I wanted them to do, I'm really proud of my kids. But if they just did what I wanted them to do, not only would they be doing something very different than what they're doing, here's the key, it wouldn't be as good. I'm not omniscient. I'm not omnipotent. I don't understand everything that they need to have done in their life. I don't understand all of the various things. And by the way, let me just be clear, Lance is a phenomenal guy. If you don't know him, you need to get to know him. I am quite certain that Lance is the only person on the face of the earth that only has 1% sin. <laughs> but he's still got 1%. And that's always going to make him do something that is separating if I was perfectly holy. See it? I mean, after all, sin is separation, going your own way, right? That's the definition of it. So you see, I got something being modeled here by the Father, which we can't do. <laughs> right? Because I'm a sinner, and he shouldn't obey me all the time, and he's a sinner, and he's not going to do it the right way. And as sinners, we can never get to where Christ and the Father were, can we? Well, if that was true, then why model it for us? Thanks, Lance. Once again, I got one more for you. Do you see it? If, if there, is it possible that there can be a distance between father and son, but no difference? I'm not talking about the mere image of. Remember, Jesus was doing something quite distinct. But I am talking about how would we get to a place to where we were more nearly fulfilling the pattern that God has in our launching. So that the son wasn't, and the father wasn't, and the mother wasn't, and the family wasn't, and the community wasn't thinking of it as your own person, but they were thinking of them as still being linked in an important way. That there was something of value that's being lost when they're not linked and that we're to help them preserve it. See, my observation now is that Jesus as a son is much more attuned to doing only what the Father is doing than I am. And I could have put down in there too that as a father, I ain't so good at it. I make mistakes, and I don't want my kids to follow my mistakes. It's one of my biggest prayers, right? Isn't it yours as a parent? Oh God, don't let them do what I did. Right? That's what you try and teach them. By the way, a little, little bit of helpful father tip right here. Really serious about this. I made this mistake, and, and I, I just wish I could go back and redo this one over. All the time as parents, what we do to our kids is we tell them, don't do this. because you're, If you do this, this is what you're going to do. If you do that, this is what's going to happen to you. If you see what I mean? And we're doing that because we're thinking about ourselves and the way that it worked out for us. And what we're actually doing is, is that we're telling them what to be and do. 
in a very unusual, offhanded way. But we're, we're trying to tell them what not to do. What we actually are doing is pronouncing over them what they're going to be. What we should be doing is saying, you're not like that. That's pronouncing over them what they should be. You're not like that. You're not going to do that. That's not you. I did that, learned from it. But you're not like me. Okay, little tidbit, okay, all right. Okay, so what's the application now? I got the, I've got the observation that there's a problem here and that we're, I can't follow that Jesus modeling because I'm a sinner and my dad's a sinner and there's a difference between us and all this kind of stuff. So what's the application? Well, actually, interestingly enough, we can find it right there in the passage. I, what does the son do to demonstrate that he's actually doing being one with the Father. Jesus could have said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And then done nothing. Who could have proved him wrong? Or done whatever he wanted. Even if it wasn't the Father's will. Who could have proved him wrong? What actually he did was, is he, we see what he did and we see the miracles and we see the goodness and we see the distinction. We see a man doing things that are not human Humanish, atomish, fallen in nature. We see someone doing something that we bear witness to, it's godly. And we say, okay, I, he was doing what the Father, and he's trying to tell us something. The way that I do it is I only do what I see the Father doing. Last week, Will Lees preached a phenomenal sermon, and he had a principle in it about believing. And in that principle, I asked him to do something which Will is too cool to do, okay? Will is a hipster. He's cool. He's a great guy. So Will, I said, Will, I want you to do this funky thing because it'll make your point in a visual way. And, and I could tell he was hemming and hawing, and I knew what he was really saying was, is, that's dorky, Kurt. Well, I'm old enough to where I can do dork, okay? I am a dork. I'm good with dork, okay? So I'm going to do the dorky thing that I wanted Will to do last week, okay? So believe. You can play with that word, and the first thing you can do is take the E out. And then you just change the space, be live, and then you just go all the way with it, be living. See that? Believe, be living. What Will was trying to point out was, is he said, you can say that you believe that God exists. But there's only one way that it's true that you really do believe it if you really do believe it so much that you live according to it. Right? I mean, that's when you really believe. Be living according to what we believe. He was trying to point out that there's an action, there's a, a response. You'll know them by their fruit, God says. In fact, I'll go deeper with you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one that loves me. I love you. I don't necessarily do what you say. I don't necessarily obey you. I don't necessarily find you. I don't necessarily seek you. But I know that you exist because I believe that you are, and I believe that you died for my sins. And then we don't live as if that was true. And he says, you can't. You don't really believe it. You may be saying it, but if you really believed it, it would change how you live. Period. And that's how you know. So there's something in this that's going to help us, and that is that we're to be doing what our Father does. That's what Jesus did. But wait a minute, Kurt. By the way, let me just do it this way. 
be living according to what God is revealing. Look for speed bumps in life. It's not just looking, when, by the way, when you get good at catching speed bumps in scripture, you get good at catching speed bumps at work, you get good at catching speed bumps in the grocery store, you get good at catching speed bumps everywhere in your life. Because you'll realize that God's got speed bumps everywhere in your life. That he's trying to show you something and he wants you to stop and observe what it is and then apply yourself to it. See? So the bottom line is, is here's the application, but do remember, Lance, you're up again. Do remember, see, the problem that we're dealing with is I get how the Father and the Son do that. I even get how me as a Christian is supposed to do that with God who is my Father. Right? I believe that, don't I? Don't I believe that the way that I can be the best son to the Father is to have no distinction between what he wants and what I'm doing? Isn't that the definition? I don't mean that as a works thing. I don't mean that as a performance thing. I mean that you'll know them by their fruit. Right? So I get how I can have that relationship with God with me and him, and I get how far, for, fall, far short I fall of it. But nonetheless, I get the principle and I live according to it. But now what I'm trying to say today on Father's Day is this principle is actually supposed to be happening between you and your father. But wait a minute, Kurt. You don't know my dad. This was a bad person. Or not at all a person in my life. Abandoned me when we were kids. Or a good person, but... You don't want me to do that, do you? You don't want me to be, I've already said don't be the mirror image of the sin. But wait a minute. Lance and I, father and son, share a physical metaphor that's supposed to be a metaphor for something deeper. See, this, we're DNA, right? Now this is not, this is actually a DNA that's splitting and replicating, but this is the way that people look at it, so I didn't, you know, it could have showed you the one with the egg and all that kind of stuff, but that's kind of different. Uh, I just wanted to, but the point is, you know, you know when, when Lance's mother and I made Lance, you know that, that we took half of my DNA and half of her DNA, and the two DNAs came together and became Lance. So Lance is in the physical dimension, literally, to some degree, me, my DNA. That's the physical analogy that God put in the world for us to have, right? And in the spiritual, we know that I'm supposed to be that because what does God do? He makes me new substance, homoousis with him. He gives me a new nature. Now I get put in the blender, and I get mixed up with him, and we become one. And wherever I am, he is, and wherever he is, I'm supposed to be. See that? So it all works. Until right here, in the natural, with my dad. There's a metaphor that God has given me. There's an important thing that he's trying to communicate to me. There's a thing that he has modeled. There's a thing that he wants me to see. Go ahead. Thanks. I think I might have one more, so we'll see. Yeah, thank you. I'm lucky. I'm not just lucky, I'm blessed. I'm fortunate. I have a good dad. Was he perfect? No. He's watching. I, I just said it for them to hear that, dad. I know you're perfect. Okay. <laughs> 
Seriously, he'd be the first person that would tell you he's not perfect. In the old days, if my dad was a cobbler, what would I have been? He would have passed something down to me. Not just DNA. He would have passed down a predilection, a certain behavior, a certain mentality, a certain way of thinking about things, a certain skill set, a certain ability, a certain key to how to make good shoes. And I would have become, if I listened to him, if I obeyed him, a good shoemaker. Now, if I was a rebellious son and I was off trying to create these new shoes, you know, that are like 15 feet long and they curl up at the end, then my dad would have said, those are stupid shoes. You shouldn't make those kind of shoes. And you'd say, yeah, they sell. But yeah, you know, a few years from now, you can look back at them and say, oh my God, I can't believe I made those kind of shoes. No, the point is, see, if I'm not a good son, I go and make shoes the way I think shoes ought to be made. You can always take what the Father has given and you can bring more to it. Jesus himself says he's going to teach me even greater things. But there's something of lineage. There's something of legacy. There's something of passing down. There's something of God intends to bring something forward so that you get it. And Here's a little factoid that I want you to check out and see. Take the best pastors that you know. I'm not talking about me. I hope I'm in that class, but I, yeah, if I'm not, it's okay. I love you, okay? But I want you to take the big shots, the guys that have huge churches and have done a great job in the world. You may think bad churches are bad. They're not. Some are, some aren't. It doesn't matter. If you take good pastors, Rick Warren, Andy Stanley, I could put Joel Olstein in there. I don't know what to say about that, but anyway. But I want you to see something. They're the sons of pastors, They grew up with something. Something was passed down to them. They lived with it. They lived in it. And they got better at it because of it. I didn't have that. My dad became a pastor very late in life. I didn't live with him. I didn't know that. I, you know, I, anybody who knows me well and has, has been through on, with me on my journey through pastoring knows, oh my God, that guy has been like this. And it's because I'm trying to figure it out. I don't have that modeling. Now, I'm not saying that I should have that modeling, and I'm not saying you can't be a good pastor without that modeling. I'm just telling you, it's easier if you take and learn from generation to generation. And aren't I talking about a really deep spiritual principle here? How many times in Scripture does God say, passing down from the generations to the generations? How many times is God implying that if you will be humble enough to learn from what has come before, you'll actually get farther than you ever could on your own? Individualism, which we love as Americans, doesn't necessarily lead to an additional increase. It only does so if we're humble. It only does so if we really learn from what has come before, the spiritual influences, the people that God has put in our life. And here's the truth. Good, bad, indifferent. The truth is, is that God gave every one of us a dad for a reason. Did they fulfill their reason? Maybe they jetted. Maybe they were just screwed up. Maybe, maybe, maybe a whole lot of other things. Maybe they did to some degree and they didn't to other degree. There's all kinds of things that they will do and not do and, and all this kind of stuff. But the point is God did have an intent for them. My dad 
trusts God phenomenally. If I was to do some pop psychology and pops, I'm asking you to close your ears right now because I'm sure it's wrong. But if I were to do some pop psychology, if you went back into my dad's younger life, he had to learn how to trust because they were put on a ranch and the folks would go and they would be with a, a gal who would take care of them down in Mexico. And, and it was just, you know, it was like my dad before he became a Christian, if he went on a business trip, he would, and I, didn't, I wasn't scarred from this, so I'm not complaining, okay? But my dad had a thing inside of him that he wouldn't tell us that he was going on a trip because he couldn't stand when his parents would go away for months. That's hard on a kid, right? And my dad's a man's man. So he's not like, you know, wimpy or something and needs all kinds of affection and attention. It was just something that needed to be there and wasn't there. And so as a father, he didn't want to ever have that on us, us having that gone and the anxiety of it. He'd just be gone and then he'd be back. Now, when he became a Christian, he became a totally different human being. And I don't even know how to describe it to you because I feel like I had a really excellent dad before that time. But I can tell you one of the dimensions along which my dad became unbelievable. And that's the degree to which he trusts God. So much so that if you have five testosterone-addled boys that are good at doing things their own way, and want to make a difference in the world, and are willing to do whatever it takes to do that, and be aggressive, and fight for it, and change the world. See, uh, my theology says you got to go out there and fight. you got to go out there and make it happen. I don't mean on your own shoulders. God wants to do it through you. But if you're not willing to go, God's not going to do. So you, know, you need to let him do it through you, but you need to be going out there trying to make a difference in the world. That is very much a part of what is me. My dad doesn't do that at all. And I've seen the Lord move more situations more strongly than I've ever seen anything that I did. I've seen him heal more people. I've seen him close down every other church in the valley so that all the churches came together, all the charismatic churches came together and were one church. I've seen him change a community. There's a bumper sticker I have in my office that was created, and the bumper sticker you put on your car, and they're all over Jackson, and they say, I know Don Brunk. Think about that for a second. You know, people that know Don Brunk go, that's a cool thing to put on your car. Because if you know Don Brunk, you know somebody who really trusts God, and God does extraordinary things through him, and he doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything so much that a friend of ours was about to go to prison. He was being investigated. He was a government official. He was being investigated. And, and they, the government came after him, and it turned out to be a, a, truly, truly one of these just unbelievably stupid things. Literally, there was a file on his thing that was to a band leader, and they said it was to this HUD secretary, and that it was a bribery thing, and it wasn't. It was just a rec letter of recommendation for a guy to get a job in, in Lander, Wyoming as a band director. And they spent... I don't know how many millions of dollars the federal government did trying to persecute this guy saying he was in on this bribery that the hub secretary was doing, and he wasn't. And in the end, he got off, but it cost him everything. And I asked my dad one time, and I said, what would you have done about that? And I, this is my dad. He said, first of all, I'd have never hired an attorney. I just wouldn't have. I don't, I don't care that the other guy did. That's not a problem for me. That's just fine. But he said, for me, what would I have done? I would have never hired an attorney. I would have gone to court, I would have answered every question that they wanted me to answer, and I would have answered it to the best of my possible ability, and then 
if, 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 I, if they put me away in prison, I would have just said, well, that must be where God wants me to be. Now, you don't know how righteous my dad is. I mean, you can't imagine anybody going to prison less than my father. Nobody who knows him would ever say that. And yet I was sitting there on that porch swing, watching him swing. And I knew that he had a trust of the Lord that was so far beyond me. And I'm sitting here on this Father's Day and I'm wanting to say something. I want to be a second generation truster. I want to be somebody who learns how to trust the Lord. And I got to live with my dad, see? I got to see how he did that. I got to see what that means in action. Yeah, a little, just a moment here. See, here's, here's the kind of sermons that we do want. Tell me about the diligence that it takes and the devoid of ego and the delegation and the delight. Tell me the principles about this because then I'm going to apply some of them and it's going to make me feel good and it'll be a nice little Sunday sermon and it'll be all that kind of stuff. You know what God doesn't really do in his scripture except very, very little? Tell us the principles of stuff. You know what he does do? He brings Christ to earth and he lets him live and he says, look at how he lived. And then Jesus doesn't even sit there and tell us the rules, the regs, the principles. Jesus comes and says, so there's this Samaritan, see, and there's this guy that gets beat up, and a religious leader, you know, a person supposed to know God comes, but he's late for the temple, so he goes around him, and then another figure comes, and he's a big important figure, but he also goes around, and then this hated Samaritan, you know the ones that you guys all think are demons? These hated, this hated Samaritan came, and he picked the guy up, and he takes him into an inn, and he pays for his recuperation, and then comes back and checks up on him. Now, how many books would it take to write down every principle of that parable that I just told you in 15 seconds? To get every single principle right. Well, if A happens and B happens, but there's character of C and the thing of D and the thing, I mean, how, you see what I mean? In the principles, we would go forever, and the bottom line is in the principles, we would always get it wrong. Here's what you do when you actually have the parable of the Samaritan in your head. The next time you see someone in need, you think to yourself, that's what a godly person's supposed to do. We have an image in our mind. And it turns out the images in our mind are much more powerful than delight and delegation and devoid of ego stuff. Lance, one more time. And this is what a dad is supposed to be. He's an image of God for you about particular things. But Kurt, you don't know my a-hole of a dad. You're right, I don't. Well, here's something funny about us human beings. We actually end up learning more when people get it wrong than we do when they get it right. That's the way I learn, don't I? When I get it wrong, I really learn the lesson. When I get it right, it still is somewhat slippery. When I get it wrong, though, I never do it that way again. I'm just telling you, whether your father got it wrong or right or indifferent or any other way, here, here's what I'm really trying to go after. Just stay there for one more second. What does honor your father and your mother really mean? Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. 
if you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. You will have long life on earth. Here's what I always thought that meant until right now. And I think it does mean this. I think it means if you honor your father and your mother, God will bless you. Here's what I'm trying to say to you right now. It's more than just that he'll bless you. There's value in it. Actual, tangible, substantive value. Even if your dad was horrible. If you will take the time to go after it. If you will do what our challenge is this week. If you will seek God for what he intended to bring you through your father. If you will seek him for what it was supposed to be. He did that wrong. I know that he did that wrong. But what were you trying to do, God? If you will seek him for this. A lot of people in this room have bad fathers. And it damages you. And I'm telling you, in all kinds of ways, and you who have had bad fathers know the truth I'm talking about, and you can get free of 10 of them and still have another 30 left. Can I just tell you what I think God's trying to do right now? I think he's trying to heal from the inside out. See, I can get rid of that problem, and I get rid of that problem, and I get rid of that problem, but I still got that one, and that one, and that one, and that one. But if we start seeking God for what he meant to bring through the Father, for what he intended to model for me so that I could see it, not just hear about it, not just have some, some, you know, I heard a story about something and yes, it makes a difference to me. See, that Father is supposed to be in some degree the image of the Heavenly Father. And just like Jesus images the heavenly father in a way that I can now understand the father better. The earthly father is to image the heavenly father in a way that I come to understand the heavenly father better. That's what fathers are supposed to do. By the way, not launch them out to where they're successful on their own. That, that is an important principle, and I'm still saying that that's valid, but do understand something. I'm still connected genetically, spiritually, experientially, I'm still connected. So if you're going to get the crap beat out of you by all the bad things that your father did, why don't you go ahead and try and redeem it? Amen. Take that sucker and turn it around. Amen. Right? Go after. What was it that was supposed to be manifesting in my father? Why did they do the things that they did? What is this about? God, I seek you. I wish that I could give you, you know, the four principles of how to do this excellently. There aren't four principles. There's a life. There's a dynamic. There's a relationship. And I think the only way that you'll ever get to the victory that I'm talking about here is if you'll actually write that down and do it. If you will take this next week and you will seek God, what did you mean to teach me? Even if all of it's negative. <laughs> In the negative. Right? They did it all wrong, but what was supposed to happen was this. I just think that God can start a revolution here. Yeah. I just think that we can become second generation of the things that God meant to pass on so that the son can then pass that on to the son so that they're now third generation. See, in America, we separate and divide because we're individuals. God means this to be a continuum, a flow. Do you see it? Thank you, Lance. That is it. <laughs> Love you, brother. Go clap for him, okay? <laughs>
Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we come before your throne and we have an image now of what to do with our fathers, of a way that we're supposed to be connected to them, of a way that we're supposed to be learning from them, even in the negative, of a way that we can find a redemption, not just a redemption, but a resurrection, a fullness that you intend to be in our lives, that you intend to teach us with, that you intend to grow us into that we can be second, third, fourth, fifth generation of getting things down that you mean to pass on to us. We humble ourselves. We learn from that which has come before. Some of it painful. But we've got you, God, who takes and causes all things to work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And that's the process that we embrace today. Show us how to get the richness and the fullness out of what you wanted us to get from our earthly father. We want to bring honor to them honor to what you intended to do for them. We want to get a heart for them that we might forgive, that we might get past, that we might grow up into a new place because of the God who takes all things and works them together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so in that regard, God, we reach forward and we take these two cups. And in this bottom...